Romans chapter 15, beginning in, in verse 14. Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to um, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul has been writing this this particular epistle to the church in, in Rome, and it has been just a joy to study this epistle. What a blessing God has done in inspiring Paul to write these things, the very words of God, the perfect word of God, as far as thus saith the Lord, this is what God has for the church of Rome as well as the church today. A book that is so full of doctrine, so full of theology, that makes it so clear as far as who we are as far as sinners in desperate need of the grace of God, um, who, who God is, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God who, who saves us and he saves us by faith alone. So much of this book is geared towards that. Uh, if, there's, if there's ever a tendency for you to be man-centered, if there's ever a tendency for you to think that your salvation depends upon you and upon your own abilities, upon your own good works, what an epistle this is to just destroy that in you, to be able to show you that it's not based upon how well you run. It's not based upon anything that is good inside you or any of your abilities, but it's all the result of a sovereign God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, a God who takes us and he He saves us. He takes us who weren't seeking after him at all and and there's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that comes to us in the face of Jesus Christ. And he loves us with a love that is unconditional. He loves us with the love that is so deep that we cannot be separated from it. And he holds us in his hand. And, and you see in, in this particular book that, that he tells us that he works all things together for good for us. And it's just to bring us to a place of having a huge view of who God is. And at the same time to see the depth of our sins so that it brings us to a place of of praising him and exalting him for the salvation that we have. And we were able to go through and look at his faithfulness, his faithfulness to the Jews, his faithfulness to the Gentiles. We're able to look and see practical means of how this is to affect us as a church and to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto him and to have it truly affect us as we, as we look at what God revealed through this epistle. 
And, and now Paul is coming to the conclusion of the epistle. And he comes to, from verses 14 and on, just very practical things as, as he closes this epistle that was written to this church, but definitely applies to us as well. He says, now I, I myself am confident concerning you. He, he has said a whole lot of things that are in this book as far as teaching them and, and challenging them and showing them who God is. But now he says, as I talk to you, I'm, I'm, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. He's encouraging the church in Rome. First, he says that he's confident that they're full of goodness. We look at this and, and we, th- we think, what, what kind of church would we want to be as Reverence Bible Church? And I would want this to be a description of us. That we'd be a church that's full of goodness, that we're known for our kind acts, for being rich and caring for others, for being generous and hard, for being full of goodness, that we're known for our moral character. But it's important for us to see that 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 attribute, that quality that you would find in a church, it doesn't come from us. We we, we can't just decide, like, okay, from this point on, like, we are going to just be a church that's just full of goodness. It's not something that comes natural to us as people in our flesh. It is only the work of the Holy Spirit that would do that in us. You see, in in Galatians, where it refers to the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the the aspects of the the fruit of the Spirit is, is goodness that would come. Goodness. We we look at at ourselves. And that's not our tendency. You see here in, 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 in Romans 1 where Paul describes what we're like, what sinners are like. They're, they're filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they're whisperers, they're backbiters, they're haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. That describes mankind. That describes like where we would be if God just gave us over to a debased mind to do what would come natural to us. And so I look at 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 this saying, you are full of goodness as he speaks to this church in Rome. And just looking at it saying, that is just an incredible evidence of God's grace in that church. And I pray that that would be us as well. That God would do a work in us to take those who are disobedient to parents by nature and change that in us to where we want to honor them. To take us who are unforgiving and, and to, to change that in us to where we're able to see who we were as, as people, as, as depraved people. To see what it is that God has done for us in saving us. 
And that we would see just this magnitude of, of, of forgiveness in which God has forgiven us. And, and where we would see that, that we are likewise are to forgive just as Christ has forgiven. And, and we who have been forgiven of so much, how can we not forgive? And to have that take place in us as far as that sanctification take place to where we look at our lives and say, okay, we need to forgive because look at what God has done in us. We, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Look at what Christ has done for us. Look at how he has loved us when we were unlovable. We, we, we didn't have anything to offer him, and yet he loved us. And to have that mindset where we look around at one another and we desire to love each other because we see the evidence of God's love towards us and the Holy Spirit's in us and he, has, he indwells us and he molds us and conforms us to where we are genuinely praying for one another, loving one another, caring for one another, wanting to encourage one another, that that would take place, that we would desire to give to to those who are in need, to be a friend to somebody who is lonely, that we would do that because it's God working in us as a church. Brothers and sisters, we are totally dependent upon him in that. If if you look at your life right now and and you're saying, I don't see much, much of being full of goodness in me, our prayer needs to shift to, God, please enable me to, to be like that. God, please enable fruit to come forward out of my life. Give me a heart that's like your heart to be able to spend time in God's word and study it and, and have it be a mirror that shows us our sin and shows us who Christ is and what we are to act like and how we are to be. I just know that apart from him, we can do nothing. And and so th- this isn't something where he's talking to this church and saying, good job, you guys. You guys are full of goodness. That would, that would contradict everything in the rest of the epistle. He's, he's saying, you guys are full of goodness, and it's all because of Christ. All of it is because of Christ. And, and for us as, as a church that has people at, at different levels of, of when they became a Christian, maybe somebody has just recently become a Christian. Maybe someone's been a Christian for 60 years, 70 years. But the, the fact is, is, is that all of us need encouragement. The person who's been a Christian for 60 or 70 years can lose their first love. Um, the person that has just become a Christian needs to grow in their wisdom and knowledge of God. To, to be a church that looks at everybody and says, how can we encourage one another towards goodness that would flow from Reverence Bible Church? He goes on, he says, that they are also filled with all knowledge. This is to say that they are a church who places a high emphasis on knowing God's word. They're filled with all knowledge. We we want to be like this. Not to, where, not to be in a place where, we, where we're studying so hard that we find ourselves just to be brilliant theologians. That's not the goal here at our church. The goal of our church is to be filled with all knowledge, which is spiritual knowledge, wisdom that comes from God's word to where it's not such that makes it so that, that, that we have a whole lot of head knowledge, but not a lot of practical knowledge, but that we'd be a church that, that knows God's word, that learns to think biblically, that learns to see what, what is it that Christ has done to be in such a place that we find there to be just a seriousness of, of knowing God's word. Without, 
being divisive at all. Um, I, I want to point out that the church has gone in a much different direction over the past several decades. The church at large has gone into a direction of, of being entertainers far more than wanting the members of their church to be filled with all knowledge. It is something that I hope that you see that that is not a good thing and we need to pray that the church changes in this way. There's, there's things that we do that would not be popular at all in this particular day and age. One would be studying verse by verse through scripture. To be able to start in Romans chapter one and finish at the end of Romans. You can't pick what you want to study and what you don't want to study. You just take it verse by verse as we go. Expository preaching, knowing the text that's before us. To actually study God's word. To come here expectant to say, what is this text saying? How does it apply to my life? We, we live um, in a time in which there has been just such a shift to where Bible study is no longer popular. Entertaining is popular. There was people who couldn't understand why we didn't want to just have big screen TVs up all the time. If you notice, like they just go away, don't they? The screen just goes away. And I was told by those that were helping design the church, like, if you don't have, like, if you have big screen TVs, you, it's, you could show movie clips. You could do all kinds of stuff if you have. And I just said, I'll, I'll never do that. And if I die, I want to make it really hard for the next pastor to do it. Let, don't even put electricity there. Let's just make it so it's not possible. We just don't want that. And, and the reason why is because we're not here to entertain. We, we want the screens to go away and the focus to be on God's word and the study of his word. Look, and in, in we, we want it to be a church that cares about truth. We, just, we, we care about truth. I sat um, in a session with R.C. Sproul when I was in seminary. And we, we were just sitting around some lunch tables. And, and one of the students asked him, well, what do you think the biggest problem in the church is today? Like if you were just a church in America, what's the, the biggest problem in the church today? And he sat there and he was quiet for a second. And then you could see his eyes kind of get a little teary. And his response was, they just don't care whether it's true anymore. I don't care if it's true. I don't care if it's biblical. And, and I, I, I think he was spot on on that. So much of the church just doesn't care if it's true anymore. Does it come from God's word? Is this what he says? They, they want psychology. They want it to be where they come in and get a, a quick self-help thing and and practical things as far as like, okay, well, this is, this will be helpful in business. This will be helpful in whatever and, and, and laugh and then leave and, and never even bring their Bibles or open their Bibles. 
the result has been a large shift in in the church as far as a slippery slope that has gone down to a place where you have the major liberal denominations who don't even place a high authority of God's word at all. They won't even say that it is without error. They will waver on so many issues as far as what God says about ethical issues of marriage, of differences between men and women, of creation, of homosexuality. So many things where they're, they're so, they find it so hard to take any kind of position. In fact, they'll take an opposite position that's more popular with culture rather than what the text says. And I look at that and, and I just think, God help us not to go down that path. This particular church, he says, you're filled with, with all knowledge. I want to be a church that's like that. I want to be a church that cares whether it's true or not, whether it's biblical or not. There's things that we do towards that end. One would be the way that our Sunday school ministry works. The desire to, to really teach the kids. The desire to have them memorize scripture. The desire to take them through scripture and to be able to show them God's redemptive plan in history from the very beginning all throughout scripture. To be able to have a time with the kids where they're really learning God's word. The youth ministry. If you've ever been a part of the youth ministry or seen what takes place here, I mean, we, we are intentional to not try to compete with the world as far as entertainment within youth ministry. They, they have a, a serious time of worship and, uh, you know, a 40-minute Bible study sermon. They then split up and meet into prayer groups and pray for each other and hold each other accountable. And, and then they do activities that are outside of Tuesday night on the weekends and retreats and other things that, where they just have so much fun. But when it comes time for, for youth ministry and, and, and that particular night, it, it's, it's really a desire to, to, to teach them. that They would have such a view of God that they would treasure him. I mean, they would treasure him above everything that this world has to offer. It's my prayer. I mean, I, I know, like, I see young people who are in here. You, you know that it, it's good to obey your parents. You know that drugs are bad. You know that drinking is bad. You know that, that you're supposed to be pure. You know these things. And, and yet to know it is one thing. But we desire for you not just to know that, but to treasure Christ so much that you desire to please him rather than yourself or rather than man or rather than anything. Have such a view of God that you treasure him above everything this world has to offer. I I talked to kids over at the high school just this last week. I think I asked four of them that I knew that were Christians. Um, Can you tell me why it is that you treasure Christ above anything else? And these kids don't go to our church, but I just, I wanted them to think that way. Why do you treasure Christ above anything this world has to offer? And, and then to try to take them through it. Why is it that we treasure Christ? Why is it that he is more valuable than anything else? 
We want that as a church to be filled with that knowledge where it's not just head knowledge, but it goes to your heart to where you study doctrines of man's depravity and sin or what grace is like, what took place on the cross, what is heaven going to be like, what is the church for, to be able to look and say, well, why do we pray and what should that look like? And to be able to study different aspects of God's word as we go verse by verse through scripture to where they know God's word. When our kids graduate from, from high school, as a church, we purchase them a library, the beginning of a library. We give them several books, some, some books as, as far as apologetics books, other books that deal more with how to find different things in Scripture, other books that would deal more with ethical issues or being able to go through and look at a, 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 a systematic theology book or other books that we would give them to, to, to give them something as far as a library to start with so that they have that and they're able to have their own library and they're able to add to it. But where our high school students, before they go into college, it's just let's give them a library that is going to be precious to them and to those that come after them. To us, that's something that is the greatest gift that we as a church could give our young people. Currently, right now, we have a, a library that's being set up upstairs right here, and it's not my library, it's your library. We're working on it to put together the best books that are in there to, to be something that would build you up and that would be there to edify you. When we build this new building that's over, it's going to be over here, um, we're going to comply with the city and do the bathrooms that we need and the the, the kitchen that we need and the elevator that we need and the things that we need to do. But part of the process there will be the third story will be strictly a library, um, a large library to be filled with books that would be a blessing to you. The, the books are a thing of the past for most people today. And yet books are something that are filled with with knowledge and, and to be able to go into areas in that library and to be able to have discussions together and to talk about God and talk about his word, to, to encourage that, to be a place where you could go and you can look up a number of different subjects and study different things and have computers there so you could search things easily and to have it be a place where you could grow in your knowledge of God. We want to cultivate that within our church. Not so that we have big, gigantic heads that are just filled with all kinds of knowledge, but that the knowledge of God's word would, would shift to, to, to make us just treasure him and love him and desire him above all things. That's what we want as a church. We want you to grow in that. That's why, we, 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 that's why I teach the way that we do on Sunday mornings here and, and go verse by verse. That's why we do that. That's why midweek, we're going through Esther right now, and it's just been incredible to go through that. But there's books that we give out that, that Pastor Don has done to where you're able to take notes, you're able to see things, you're able to keep it. Um, it it's been amazing. In the last several weeks since we started Esther, there's been like, we're, we're like having to bring chairs in on some of the weeks because it's just filled up with people that want to study God's word that want to be filled with the knowledge of God's word for where if you're sitting here this morning saying, well, I don't know what Esther is about, that some months from now, you, you will know the book of Esther. You'll know why God put it there. You'll know why he put it there to bring us to a place of having such a high view of God that in the midst of incredible difficulties and trials, you would have a high view of God's providence and his invisible hand that orchestrate things for the purpose of his glory that leads to more and more trusting of him. It's what he talks about with this church, that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. 
able also, number three, to admonish one another. He's confident that they are church members who are able to admonish one another or counsel one another biblically. To admonish is to encourage our brothers and sisters. It's, it's sometimes to call them to repentance. It's sometimes to show them what God says in his word. The, the word admonish comes from a word that we would use for neuthetic counseling or biblical counseling. To be a church that sees a need for that to where you have a desire to to be able to admonish one another. Somebody's in a place of falling into sin or someone's struggling in a certain aspect of their life or someone's hurting or they're, they're having a hard time trusting God in a certain circumstance and to be able to go to God's word and say, this is what God says in his word. Can I encourage you in this? You're living in a way that's totally inconsistent with what God would call you to. This is why repentance needs to take place. Being willing to say, like, no, this is wrong. Don't get into that. Don't do that. We, we have, I've had women at, at the church say to me, or men at the church as well, saying, if, if there's ever a young person in the church that's thinking about dating someone who's an unbeliever, please have them come see me. Please have them see me. I'll explain to them why it is that I thought that was okay back then, but what the result has been in my life. I would plead with them not to do that. I want to admonish them. I want to encourage them biblically why that's the case, why God says that, that he's not there just to ruin our fun, but there is a reason why he says that, and it's for his glory. It's for your edification. The ability to admonish one another to have such a view of Scripture that we see it as Scripture is what we need to be able to teach us all things. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, we live in a time where for so many people, even within the Christian church, when somebody is going through a major problem, our first thought is they need to go see a clinical psychologist. They need to go see someone who specializes in clinical psychology. Without ever first going to say, what does God's word say about this? See, because God tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I think there's some solid Christian counselors who are there to admonish others in, in God's word. Whereas there's also a secular psychology that takes a position as if God does not exist and sin does not exist and the Holy Spirit does not exist and repentance is not needed and forgiveness is not needed. And, and, and it doesn't take a place, of a position of forget the things which are behind and press on to the things which are ahead or to forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. It doesn't take those positions. It takes something of going through all the past and going through all these things and trying to work all these things out that come totally from a secular, unbiblical view rather than from a viewpoint of you are all also able to admonish one another in God's word. And we need to be a church that's like that. A church that looks at one another and says like, I'll care for you. I'll hold you accountable. I'll pray for you. Let's go through God's word. Let's look and see why is it that we should treasure Christ more than we should treasure sin? 
Why is it that we should desire to please God? Let's look at the banquet table of the glories of God and go to it daily so that we just look at who Christ is. So the stuff of this world grows dim, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace to where we look at that and we just count that as rubbish in comparison to the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, that we see him to be esteemed above all things. As part of our calling as believers to one another, to be filled with goodness, with all knowledge, but also able to admonish one another, to encourage one another in God's word. May we be brothers and sisters that do that for one another. I've taken so many classes in biblical counseling and from, from men like Jay Adams or George Scipione or Wayne Mack. I mean, these guys are like leading thinkers in biblical counseling. And you ask them questions like, okay, well, what about this? What about this circumstance? And then you just listen to them. And they're like, you know, these verses that come out and you're just like, how do you, like you are all knowing. Like, I mean, how do you know all of these verses? I mean, on any subject, they just know verses that, that, deal with, with almost any circumstance you could imagine that you would use in counseling. And I remember asking George Scipione, I said, okay, so at what point did you feel like you were ready to do biblical counseling? Because I, like, I am so humbled right now with your ability to just, here's all the verses that deal with it. I can't do that. When did you feel like, okay, I'm ready now, I can start? And his response was, do you believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God? Start there. I mean, you, you don't need to have all of the answers. Just know God says this, and I can look it up. And let's search through scripture here to, to just start with believing that the Bible is the word of God and trying to find answers to what God says. There's books that you can get, get that that's specifically, it's like, scripture guide to, to, to counseling to where you go look up almost any subject that you would do counseling in and it gives you like a whole list of verses that deal with that and that's what I use since my brain does not work like others to be able to, to be able to look and say like hey this is what God says what a great tool to be able to admonish one another to be able to encourage one another pastor Jim hates when I when I bring up books and I don't tell him beforehand and so they're not in the bookstore but we can get some of those little books and put them in the books bookstore um, I just thought of it just now. So, um, But it's a great tool that you can use for admonishing one another. That's what the church was doing in Rome. Verse 15, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. He's written a whole lot of things that are very bold in the book of Romans, and now he's kind of stemming back and saying, okay, you have never met me. I'm writing you this letter, and I'm writing it to you, and I've written more boldly to you on some points. But know that I'm saying this, brothers. refers to them as brethren. Just to remind you. And I'm saying these things boldly because of the grace that has been given to me by God. God has called me to say these things. God had inspired the apostle to write these things. The very words of God, that is God breathed the book of Romans. Perfect word of God. I'm speaking to you boldly because of the grace that's given to me. And, and for us, God help us to be bold in what we say. And to be bold not based upon 
Not based upon, well, this is the thoughts of, of Kevin Otsuji, or this is the thoughts of any member of our church. But thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. I mean, you look in Scripture, and he, he tells us things like, in Isaiah 55, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. God's word does not return void. But to have the confidence to speak boldly as far as, I'm saying this because God says it. I'm not just saying that this is sin. God says that it is sin. I'm not just saying that you should pursue righteousness. This is where God says that you should pursue righteousness. To be able to take them and to speak boldly because it's, it's thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. And for me, as I, as I preach on Sunday mornings, um, there will be a boldness of what I say, even when culture looks upon it and says, you ought not to say that, even when it's not politically correct to say certain things. Because I'll tell you, let's say it the Lord. This is, this is what God says in his word. This is what God tells us. And when, when God says something, it's authoritative. It does not return void. And we could have just incredible boldness to be able to say, sin is sin, and this is who Christ is, and this is the gospel. And yes, it does say that, that no one could come to him except through Christ. It does say that. It does make it so clear that there is a narrow way that leads to everlasting life. It does say that Christ is, is God and there is no alternative. It does say that Christ paid the price on the cross and it was finished. There is no alternative to partial works and partial grace. It is all of Christ. Here is the gospel. May we not change any part of it. In fact, if Paul says, if I or an angel from God come bringing any other message than what you have heard, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. This is serious. God's word is serious and we need to speak with boldness and authority in these things because it matters. And it's not based upon what we are like or who we are, our abilities. I was reading in a commentary as I was preparing for the sermon and it, it talked about Martin Luther and it just said, you know, like, here was this, this man, he, he was just a, a portly monk. Not, not someone that, that came across with just incredible eloquence or anything like that. I mean, I, I, someone who just radically changed the world by saying, this is not what it says, but this is what God does say. And I'm going I'm to put this 95 thesis there on the, the door there at the, at the castle church in, in Wittenberg. I'm going I'm I'm to put this there and nail it there. And then you just see that God had orchestrated to be where the printing press had just recently been developed. It gets spread all over Europe, all over the world, and just radically transforms the world, the church. But here's someone that's not, it's not that, that he was the spectacular person. He was just someone that, that wanted to, to teach truth. And the grace was given to him to be bold. May we have boldness like that. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, 
you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The word of God, it changes people. It effectively works in people's lives. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Matthew 24, 35. This is what God says, and it will not pass away. To have boldness and the grace of God to proclaim his word. Paul preached boldly. In Acts 9.27, it tells us that he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Just referring to his preaching, he spoke boldly when he was there in Syria. Boldly. There was boldness in his preaching. And there's numerous occasions when it refers to the Apostle Paul's preaching, and it was just, and he spoke boldly as he proclaimed God's word. In verse 16, it says, that I might minister the that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God had called the Apostle Paul to be a minister of Jesus Christ, a minister of the gospel of God, specifically to the Gentiles. You find that in in Acts 26, where there's that description of Paul's conversion. And gets knocked to the, to the ground and he hears a voice speaking to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So Saul says to him, who are you, Lord? And, and he said, I'm Jesus who you are, whom you are persecuting. So this encounter that Saul has with Christ But rise, stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. I'm sending you now to the Gentiles in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Saul, Saul, you're going to take the things which you already know and the things that I'm going to reveal to you, and you're going to use it to open their eyes to turn them from the darkness to light. You're going to use the things to turn people from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who were sanctified by faith in me. You're going to the Gentiles to do this. And so, we see Paul here saying, I want to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. 
Paul's ministry was incredible when you start looking at what was accomplished. Um, he, he went from, it tells us in the next verse there, in, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, meaning from Jerusalem. Now you go from Jerusalem and you go up all through that area of Asia Minor, going up through the area of Turkey, going all the way up past Italy, coming all the way up through that, that area of Albania, nearly to the area of Croatia, which used to be Yugoslavia, right there. I mean, you, you look at the thousands of miles in which he, he went. And he went to proclaim the gospel. He went to areas where the Gentiles were there, where there was no church, where they had not heard the gospel. He goes on from here and, and, and says, and so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And so he's saying, I had a calling, and it was to go from Jerusalem, and I, I went all the way up towards modern day, what is now Croatia, Albania, in that area. I mean, that's like, I mean, just above that is Austria. I mean, we're talking about a huge distance, and we'll find next week that, um, in our next study in this, that he's going near to, wants, wants, has a heart to go to Spain. I mean, for us, we just travel, we can get on a plane, we can be in Europe and, and just, hey, it's this much money to go to another country, let's just travel. You're talking about guys that are, that are either going by foot or getting on a boat and traveling and going places. And, and in his mind, it's, I just want to preach the gospel to those who have not heard yet. I've made it my aim to do this. But I dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make Gentiles obedient. He's looking at this saying, I, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. My only boast can be what God has done in me. My only boast can be what God has accomplished in me. Um, We're blessed here as a church. We've been here for just over, we started the church a little over eight years ago. And look at the people that God's brought here. People say, don't, don't, don't start a church in Southern California. I mean, it's impossible. You'll never own a church property. It's impossible. And you look and you... For us to take the last year, eight years and to just watch what God has done, what God has done in, in our church, the way that he's brought people to our church, and we, we had no idea, I, I don't, many of you, we didn't even know eight years ago, but watching the way God orchestrated things, watching how he sovereignly work to give us a building people come and say like what was your plan what was we want to start a church tell me your plan like how did it you know what was your strategy in all this guys there was no strategy I, there, there was no strategy well there was a strategy here was a strategy preach the word 
Preach Christ and him crucified. Worship in spirit and in truth and all that is within us. May it be Christ-centered worship. May we love one another. May we make disciples. May we proclaim the gospel. May we not put the people under the law, but exalt grace and exalt Christ. May we make it our aim to preach in such a way in which his supremacy would be front and center, that, that, that you would see him as more glorious than anything else. That, that has been the strategy. That there has been no strategy. So how do we get people here? And we just preach the gospel, the idea of healthy sheep produce healthy sheep, that you would love Christ so much that you'd just be like, come, come to church, I want you to hear the gospel. You would invite people because you desire for them to hear the gospel. You desire for them to know Christ. You're ministering, you're evangelizing to your neighbor and bringing them to church. Someone, there's been multiple people that have come and said, you know what's something that is remarkably different about reverence that from any churches that we've ever seen is we go out into the little area that's out there after church and we meet people and they're so sweet to us, but we see these people and they're not elders and they're not church leaders or they're not the pastor, but these people are like, they're genuinely excited about the church. They love the church. And I look at that, praise God, like how does that happen? It happens because the Holy Spirit works in us for this. The, the, the reason why is because God does it. Any preaching that takes place that ministers to you that is a blessing to you, it is all the result of God. All the glory goes to God. This isn't a plan. This isn't me. I could die tomorrow and our church is fine, you guys. God has raised up elders within the church. God has raised up people to be a blessing. You guys are ministering to one another. The word is supreme here at our church. But we have nothing to boast about in our church. Please don't ever do it. Please don't ever go out there like, well, our church is the best because of this, 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 and this. Don't, please don't do that. May we not be known as a church that is arrogant because of who we are. May we be a church that gives all of the glory to God. Who we are is a result of his grace in us. May we never boast of anything except for what God has done in us. He has done it. If you love Christ more now than you did when you first started coming here, it is not because of me. It is because of him. I mean, I have no ability to affect hearts. You can sit here this morning and it's just like, I have no idea what you're even saying right now. You, it's, I have no ability. I, I sit here before I get up and preach recognizing that I have no ability to change hearts. I can't. It's, it has to be a result of the, the Holy Spirit working in your heart as the words come off the pages of Scripture to change you, to make you see him as more glorious than anything that this world could ever offer. And it just changes you and makes you love him. It makes you love the lost. It makes you have a heart for missions. It makes you want to either go to the uttermost parts of the world or send people to the uttermost parts of the world. It makes you want to tithe because you don't treasure the stuff here on the, in, in this world. We, it's not that we had just great programs to get you to give. I, I just think we, we, we preach Christ and the Holy Spirit works in your heart to make it so that you desire to do it joyfully. And that's the strategy. It wasn't an advertising campaign or anything like that. It was, let's preach Christ and him crucified and he, and he has done it all. Even the strategy of preaching Christ and him crucified. Uh, Why do we do that versus others that don't? I can only attribute it to the grace of God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. 
in word and deed to make Gentiles obedient. And if our church grows 10 years from now to be even different than it is right now, all the glory be to him. If we send out people to the uttermost parts of the world, all the glory be to him. If people are coming to know Christ, all the glory be to him. If our kids raise up and grow and are just in love with Christ, it's not because we're brilliant. All the glory goes to Christ. Amen? It's all him. We are such a dependent people. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I've fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another mount's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. You, you look and, and you see in Scripture that Paul says, uh, there's those that are here saying, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos. He says, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who was Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? Paul says, I planted, but Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. We look, and Paul's saying, my heart is to go to where Christ has not been preached. I pray that God does that in some of your hearts. It's not everybody's calling, but I pray that it is some of your calling. I, I pray that, that, that you are not here forever, but that you have a passion to go someplace where Christ has not yet been named. As a church, we have such a, a heart for unreached people groups. I mean, I, that's, let's go someplace where they have not heard the gospel. Let's go someplace and preach the gospel. Let's do that. Let's go to, to areas that are 90-some percent Muslim, like we go to in Uganda or areas of, of Sudan or other places. Let's go places where Christ is not yet named and let's proclaim the gospel. But at the same time, let's encourage Christians who are serving in local churches in certain areas. Because there's some people that are going out there to plant and there's some people that are there to water and both are absolutely critical. But may we think that way. Well, my time is up. It was up 10 minutes ago. I apologize. We'll continue this next time. But I look and may God cause that to take place in us. A heart that desires to go and to serve. And we'll resume that in our next study. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. And and Lord, just your graciousness, your kindness towards us as a church. All the glory goes to you. May we be a church that has goodness pouring out from us because it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. May we be a church that... It's full of all knowledge because it's you who's renewing our mind and causing us to have great thoughts about you as we study your word. May you do that in us, Lord. May you enable us to admonish and counsel biblically one another so that we could be encouraged in our faith. And Lord, may you continue to accomplish within us just passions for the gospel and even to the uttermost parts of this world. Lord, we pray that you would just be exalted now through the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.